1: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here is your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson.
0: Well, it's Monday, and uh, we're probably in a car driving to work. We're on a break. We just got home from work, wherever and however you listen to this. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in today. And uh, today we have a really cool podcast today. And uh, basically, we are going to be talking with Andrew Walter. And Andrew ha- was on the podcast actually last month um, talking about a product that he owns uh, with the uh, stepladder, the... Yeah, go check it out on uh, one of the previous uh, podcasts. But, um, he also hunts out of a, like a harness system, a a tree saddle. And that's one thing I have never done. I've hunted in ground blinds. I've hunted in tree stands. I've hunted in a tree without a tree stand, um, long time ago, but I've never hunt out of a tree saddle. And I've heard a lot of cool things. I know, uh, Oh, a handful of guys who still do that, and they love it. It's comfortable, I guess. Um, They find success doing it that way. But Andrew is going to talk about his setup and how he uses his uh, setup uh, when he's doing his run and gun set. So um, that's what today's podcast is about. But before we get into today's podcast, let's hear from keith Dvorznak from ripcord archery ripcord air rest about their lifetime warranty
1: um here at ripcord we have a lifetime warranty on your rest so you purchase that rest um i don't care if your dog got in there and ate it we're going to cover it um you run it over with a four-wheeler we're going to cover you get bucked off a horse in the back country something happens bends you know we understand we're all bow hunters here too things happen um we, we stand behind our product 110 percent we know that it'll work and it works great if something happens to it though we're going to stand behind it
0: and there you have it guys i strongly suggest going to ripcordarrowrest.com and checking out every one of their products it's a kick-ass product i know if you're a hardcore bow hunter you will love it um i am a huge fan of mine been using it for a very long time so check it out there Now, let's get into today's, I guess it's a little bit of everything, Hunter Profile Podcast slash BS Session slash Product Review Podcast, I guess, in a way, but uh, it's with Andrew Walter. All right, Mr. Walter, excuse me, I'm going to start over again. (laughs) All right, Mr., Mr. Andrew Walter. God, I'm just going to start over again. God, this is the very first time I've ever had mumble mouth, believe it or not. <laughs> All right. Mr. Andrew Walter, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, Dan. Yourself?
0: Oh, man. I, I'm, uh, I had one of those days where I feel like time stopped while I was sitting in my cubicle. And I, I swear to God, I looked at a clock three different times, and it said the exact same time. I thought I was going crazy.
1: <laughs> that happens i yeah. feel like every time i look at the clock it's six hours later
0: yeah for sure for sure um just a little uh, quick background you are the owner of the step Ladder, right and wild edge outdoors right uh, wild edge Inc. yep wild edge Inc. yep and uh, we had you on the podcast was it last month to talk about your stepladder system um right. so there's the connection right there but Today, I wanted to do a little bit of a hunter profile podcast mixed with a type of BS session slash product review podcast because you also are a tree saddle. You hunt out of a tree saddle a majority of the time, correct? That's correct. And I've, I haven't i have really talked or talked with anybody about that or have any real experience you know, with that type of system myself, so I'm, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about how you do that, what it's like, and all that. But before we get into it, um, remind everybody where where you live.
1: I am uh, I live in Connecticut, so it's uh, East Haddam Connecticut, so it's South Central, right on the Connecticut River.
0: Okay. All right. You're the owner of uh, the Stepladder, but what is the deer hunting like in your neck of the woods?
1: Uh where I'm at it's we're right on the Connecticut River, uh the Salmon River that comes right off the Connecticut River. It's a it's pretty rural. Uh we have a lot of suburban areas but you know they're not large tracts of woods. There's limited agriculture. It's, you know, 99% hay fields, uh big, you know, acorn flats. It's, you know, just your typical uh New England woods, but uh yeah. It's, yeah, it's not too suburban, but there's a lot of suburbia around us.
0: Okay. So does that, does your area fit in with a stereotypical uh, New England, Pennsylvania type of deer hunting where it's high pressure, um, good numbers, but the quality of bucks is a little bit lower?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, in our area, if you shoot 130 inch deer, you know, that's like shooting a, you know, 170 to 180 out West. It's, you know, we have, we have a lot of deer. Our deer... Densities are high. It's just our buck to doe ratio is just out of control. It's, you know, you're talking eight, ten does to every one buck.
0: Man, what is, what is the rut like there? Because I've I've experienced what I call the glory days in the early two mm, thousands, where the buck to doe ratio was really good, and you would see a lot of cruising bucks um, throughout. Uh, let's say you decided to sit all day right um, with a skewed ratio like what you're talking about what what is your rut like
1: oh man I hate the rut I absolutely hate it you know it's you spend all spring and all summer you know targeting deer and you know finding your deer and scouting and you try to figure them out but it's once the rut comes it's you know it's pure chaos and it's It's not like what you see on TV. It's not like what you see out west. You don't have bucks that are cruising and searching and, you know, mouth open, just going for miles trying to find a doe. All they have to do is go 200 yards, and they stumble into six to eight does, and all they have to find is one doe that's cycling, and then, boom, they're with that one doe, and she'll stay in a little pocket of woods you can't hunt on a couple acres for, you know, a couple days, and then he's on to the next doe, but he doesn't have to go far. So, you know, the rut absolutely drives me insane.
0: So, what's that force a hunter to do um, in a situation like what you're in when the bucks may not be moving um, long distances because everything they have as far as breeding is right there?
1: I I focus a lot on trail cameras, so you know I'll you know check I'll have at least twelve to fifteen trail cameras out on all my properties, and a lot of my properties are connected. So, you know I'll religiously check them and. You know, I'm always mobile, always on the move. I'm never in, you know, one spot. Some days, even on one sit, I'll be in multiple spots, you know, just jumping around. If you get a buck on camera, you have, you know, you have a couple hours because you know he might be in the area, but it's basically during the rut, I'm more mobile than I am all season because you're not focusing on food. You're not focusing on bait in my area. Um, so you basically mobility is the key
0: right so uh what's the uh, uh hunter pressure situation like on the in the areas that you hunt
1: it's there's a lot of pressure you know we call them the orange pumpkins once rifle season comes you know you drive down the road you look in the woods you're guaranteed to see you know, <laughs> orange all over the place trucks parked on the side of the road but i actually look forward to gun season more than i do the beginning of the rut because i use other hunters pressure To benefit myself. So I got buddies that hunt every property around me, and we all share trail camera pictures because if I'm hunting a 10 acre piece and my buddy next door is hunting a 5 acre piece, guaranteed we have the same deer on camera. So we're always sharing information because we know you can't hide anything from each other. So it's, you know, I love gun season because I'll focus on hunting properties that where other properties surrounding that property are very high pressured and I'll just get into the thickest, nastiest, gnarliest stuff I can find. And, you know, I know I basically look for security where deer hiding from all the pressure, but you know, they get smart real quick. And with that, that high amount of does, the high ratio of does, it's they're, your biggest, your biggest fear is, you know, having a doe bust you because, you know, you have a group of six, eight does come by and there might be one buck around, you know?
0: Right. Why don't people shoot more does out there?
1: Oh, we do. We have we have unlimited doe tags. You can get as many replacement doe tags as you want. You know, in a season you get two for bow season. You get two antlerless tags and two either sex tags for gun season. In my zone you get the same thing. Um, well, gun season you get three antlerless and one either sex. But you know, if then if you shoot three more does and you check them in and get a replacement tag, you get another buck tag. So it's you know, we kill a lot of deer around here, but, you know, it's hunt, hunting alone cannot lower deer population as much as it, you know, as much as it should be lowered. Um, and then you get into, like, the high acorn crops. Besides, you know, besides the rut, I hate when we have a ton of acorns because the deer don't have to move. The last two years, we had such, we had a huge bumper crop of acorns, and it was rare that we had it two years in a row. And, you know, with high temperatures and a huge acorn crop, those deer walking you know, at the most a hundred yards from one oak tree to the next oak tree. And, you know, just to get in, the deer aren't moving. So, you know, it's not like we're hunting ag fields where, you know, you're looking for those deer to come out into a field. When there's acorns, you don't see deer in fields. You don't see them in the open. You really don't see them at all.
0: Right. Okay. So that kind of throws a wrench into, uh, uh, how you hunt. So what what do you do specifically to be successful, to make yourself more successful? I know that you mentioned, you know, using pressure from other hunters to be successful, but is are there anything else, is there anything else that you do specifically, you know, that may give you an advantage, you know, in some way, shape, or form?
1: I do uh, one or two things. First thing, in my land zone, we can bait. Um, so, you mm-hmm. know, I'll, a lot of times I'll start in the summer, you know, two to three weeks before the season, I'll start baiting, you know, baiting religiously in some spots. You know, I have two different styles of baiting. You know, one style is you're going into that property every single day at the same time, putting down, you know, a small portion of corn, depending on how many deer in the area so that the deer have a rush to get to that area. You know, they want to be the first ones to that bait. Um, That, you know, that works great when there's no acorns, but when there's acorns, your bait leverage is, zero you might as well not even waste the money my other um the other way i hunt is just pure mobility i cover ground i find this is when i start doing a lot of state land hunting when there's a lot of pressure on private land you know 90 percent of the hunting around here is private land but we have a ton of peninsulas and islands on the connecticut river that i access by my kayak so you know i'll, I'll throw a couple couple steps on my kayak And, you know, with the use of the aider, the stepladder, and my tree saddle in my kayak, and I'm carrying six to eight pounds into the woods, you know, I'll use my kayak, launch it, go to hit one of these peninsulas or islands, and just go to the nastiest, nastiest spot in the farthest spot that I know that the average guy is not going to have the ambition to go to. So I just look at maps, and I'm like, I just look at it and say, where would the normal guy not go? And that's where I go, and that's where I have my most success.
0: Okay. So then... Two two questions. I want to get back to this kayak thing. But baiting. I talked with a guy down in Texas um, who mentioned that during the rut, um, you know, sitting over a bait pile isn't as easy as we all. Like, for me, I feel that if I could throw a bag of corn right in front of one of my tree stands where I hunt, it would probably help me drastically. Um, right. But, and that's and that's me, I've never baited before. So that's a, an assumption. He, and he told me that, you know, it really doesn't help as much as you think it would in the rut because the the bucks aren't coming to that bait pile to eat. They're basically cruising by downwind of it to see if there's any does there. Is that the case with you or are they, are they coming directly to that bait pile?
1: There's so many variables that come into that question. It's, you know, when you have a low acorn crop, so say a year where there's barely any acorns, baiting is absolutely unbelievable. But you get a lot of guys, you know, back in the day when baiting first became legal, you know, I was a 13-year-old kid, so I'd go to the grain store and buy a 50-pound bag of corn, you know, scrape my quarters together so I could buy corn, and, you know, everyone looked at it like it was just just not ethical, not right, but I killed a lot of deer. But now, now you get to the whole pressure thing of baiting where now it's very popular. So when you have, you know, myself baiting on one property and then less than a quarter mile away, my buddy's baiting, and then another quarter mile away, another guy's baiting, those deer will just go to those bait piles in their luxury, and the second they're pressured, boom, they're only hitting that bait at night. So, you know, right. they'll they'll browse and they'll do their normal feeding patterns, and then the second it gets dark, they hit the bait site, so all your trail camera pictures are all at night um but if you're doing it right and there's not a lot of pressure around you and you're the only one baiting during the rut it is absolutely amazing and your success ratio increases a ton because you're attracting the does and once the does are comfortable there you know the bucks pick up on that and they'll come but i've done a lot of i you know i killed deer around the country for a living and how we did that in the suburban communities was baiting so i have a lot of experience in it and uh if you do it right it works great if you just walk into the woods and throw a fifty-pound bag of corn on the ground. Most ninety percent of the deer that come in are, come in at night. So there's ways to do it, and there's ways that can hurt you. Um, you know, so it's there's just a million different ways to do it. But you know, I found a lot of times when baiting mature bucks, if that's your target, it's there's different ways to do it. So you have your main bait pile where the does hit, and then I always noticed that you know the bucks you'd only get a glimpse of them on the trail cam, but you know they're there. So you know, I'll, I'll flip the trail camera around, and I'll put a separate bait pile, 10-15 yards from the main bait pile, a smaller one. And I'll throw that corn, so I'm not walking over to that area, and that seemed to have the bucks come in a lot, you know, a lot less wary and a lot more comfortable. So, you know, you're just messing around with it, it's it's hard, but it definitely works. So, during the rut or not during the rut, it's there's really no difference when it comes to hunting around here with or without bait.
0: Yeah, that's one thing I've noticed on my mineral stations, um, is it seems like, you know, their deer are social animal. There's a pecking order, but the big mature bucks just don't like to be around other deer for some reason until it's time, you know, to breed. And that's just something I've always kind of, um, they, they, they like to be loners. They like to be by themselves. That's just something that I've noticed over the years, but, um,
1: and a lot of times, you know, when I'm walking, you know, a lot of guys around here, you know, where you're hunting maybe at the most a couple hundred yards off a of main road. You know, there's walking trails. There's a ton. Our town purchases a lot of land trust land where that land you can hunt, but there's also a lot of walkers and dog walkers. So, you know, when a hunter sneaks through the woods to go put out bait or check a camera, deer pick up on that. So when I go in the woods before the season, or a lot of times when I'm walking to my tree stand, I walk like a normal human. I'll whistle, I'll talk to myself, I'll step on sticks purposely, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they associate. They know the difference between a dangerous right, human right. and a non-dangerous human, so a threat and a non-threat. So, it's, you know, it, it's kind of fun. I've shot a lot of deer walking through the woods in my car, hearts in a flannel with my bow, just talking to myself and walking very loud because the deer look at you, and they'll bound off 30 yards and stand there and go, this guy's not a threat, but i right. got a bow and an arrow in my hand.
0: So. Right. It's crazy that you, you said something like that because I know a lot of hunters who, you know, some of the guys we've had on the Wired to Hunt podcast will talk about how they actively, how they're active on their farm, checking trail cameras all the time, um, you know, driving their side-by-sides or, you know, whatever through their farms and, and basically what's that what that is doing and just like in your situation, but just a little different. It's conditioning that deer to feel comfortable with what your what right. you're doing. And that's and, what,
1: uh, a lot of a lot of my scouting is just talking to landowners. You know, talking to landowners yeah. a lot more information than talk than looking at your trail cam because you know a, a lot of guys that a lot of the ways I get permission to hunt a property is the landowners will be like, "Come shoot these deer, get them out of my garden," you, you know. Yeah. And then if you're hunting there, like you know. They think it's easy because that those deer are always around their house because they know that homeowner is not a threat. The second you step into the woods, you start creeping around. Those deer know the difference between you and that that landowner. You know, right,
0: right. Now I want to talk a little bit about this kayak strategy. Um, up in northeastern Iowa, there are some islands uh, in the Mississippi River, and um, I saw a real good buck on there one September when I was fishing with my father-in-law and then a couple, two other deer that were actually swimming the river in to go into one of these um, islands. And I always thought, you know, man, that would be kind of cool to throw, uh, you know, throw a tree stand up in there and, you know, just see what, you know, see what, um, what's going on in, in there as far as deer activity. I've also had another guy on the podcast who, Took a boat onto some islands in some river in Illinois and killed really good deer. So talk to me a little bit about what the reasoning is behind um, going out to some of these islands, and then talk to us about what is the deer's reaction when you're coming, you know, you know, accessing that location via the water.
1: Okay, it's uh, the reason I I started hunting out of the kayak and hitting all these uh, peninsulas and islands is because we have in Connecticut, we have a lot of these state land pieces that are bow hunting only. So, you know, that right there eliminates so much pressure because these deer aren't being gun hunted, you know, they're not being pushed and shot at. And, you know, it's bow hunting only. And, you know, to have not a lot of bow hunters around it, just the amount of deer people overlook it, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking these a thousand acre piece. I'm talking a peninsula that's maybe five acres at the most 20 acres and um i first got onto it because i have a lot of properties along the river private land that you know i'm getting a ton of trail camera pictures of nice deer nice deer all season then the second they get pressured boom they're gone and i kind of looked at the maps and driving the the roads. i do a lot of road scouting and i'm looking at trails one year in the snow and i look down and there's this wicked trail going down towards the river So, you know, I always thought about that, and in the beginning of one season, I decided to hop in the kayak, and I'm kind of connecting the points of where those deer are coming from, where I think they're going. And you kind of always forget that deer swim, and deer are really good swimmers. So, you know, I'm following this trail through the nastiest, thickest swamp, and there's just sign everywhere. I'm talking every tree's rubbed, twisted, bent over, trails, you know, droppings it is just unbelievable the sign and all of a sudden the trail stops right at the river and i'm talking not just a stream i'm talking there's three to four hundred yards of water with a strong current from this spot where the trail stopped and i look over and there's a peninsula you know i'm thinking myself i look at the maps and i always knew it was a you could bow hunt there so that right there triggered me i was like i I gotta get in there so you know i that's where i just became obsessed with and there's just something about paddling to your the spot where you're deer hunting is just you're in a, you're in the pitch black and you're just under the moon and the stars and it's just paddling there. It's just it's just really cool. And then, you know, I've paddling along the shore, you know, you you shine your light into the woods and there's deer standing there. Just looking yeah. at you. They they don't associate a floating what they think is a floating log with a paddle that's going back and forth with a human. Um so it's, it's really cool, and, you know, right there, you're not leaving a huge trail of scent on your way to or from, so I'll hop off the kayak, and I have a couple spots that I've pre-scouted, or I'll just go in blind, and, you know, set up on a main trail that I know they're going back and forth, or find a little opening. These islands are so thick, you can barely walk through them. You know, last season, I lost the opportunity at a nice 150-inch buck, because on the way in, it was so thick, I got out of my kayak, and... You know, I always had my saddle on and my steps over my shoulder, my bow, in my backpack. And it was pretty warm, so I had my um, warm after paddling, obviously. It wasn't that warm outside, but I had my nice jacket strapped to my backpack. And on the way in, once I got up the tree, I was like, oh, man, I don't know where my jacket is. I knew it was back in the brush somewhere because it was so thick. You know, you're crawling. It was like going through a jungle of barberry, you know, prickers. And uh, that. so, I'm, you know, I'm freezing to death that morning and a nice... A doe comes in behind her, a little spike, and then a four-point, and then this nice buck, and the second the doe stops and she starts blowing, I knew exactly what happened. She was standing right over my jacket. So, okay. you know, that screwed me. But it's it's just really cool. It's it's so mobile, especially with the saddle. I mean, I'm not carrying a metal, clangy, loud tree stand into the woods to set up. All I'm carrying is with the use of the aider and my steps. So the aider, basically, you're taking every other step away it's a piece of rope you hang from the steps. So instead of climbing 30, instead of using a set of eight and getting only 16 feet, I'll use a set of eight and I'll go 30 feet. But when I'm being mobile, I'll take six steps and I'll have my saddle on, wearing it in my kayak, my bow strapped to the kayak, hop out of the kayak real quiet, throw it up on land, you know, creep into the woods. And then, you know, in five minutes, I'm up in the tree and hook my saddle up and I'm ready to hunt. So it's hunting out of a saddle is just the most mobile, lightweight way to go because your tree stand is around your waist all the time.
0: Yeah. You know, okay. And that's what I – and that's kind of what I want to transition into is this uh, this tree saddle. I, I personally have not um, – like I said, I don't have any experience with it, but I've talked to some guys who, similar to you who they'll never sit in a tree stand again because – they love the tree, a tree saddle system so much, whether they're using screw in steps or, you know, like uh, lone wolf sticks or, you know, something like what you got with a stepladder. Um, talk to me a little bit about how that system works. I, and I'm talking about from the point where you've climbed up the tree, right? You use your, your stepladder system, obviously. Um, but, you know, the guy that I talked with, you, Um, he used screw in steps and then once he got up there, um, he put two, basically two screw in steps on each side of the tree and that's where he would rest his feet. Now, once you get up and you've climbed up there, talk to us about how that's connected, what the equipment's like and how, you know, what the, what the, some of the positives and negatives are.
1: Okay. It's so basically, you know, you walk. The advantage is, like I said again, you're not carrying a big piece of metal to sit on. And 90% of the tree stands that you're going to carry in that are mobile, I'd say all the tree stands, they have a little tiny seat on them. So, you know, the advantage of a sling is what do you do when you're starting to fall asleep, whether you're tied in or not, with a normal hang-on stand is you go forward and you're going out of the tree. The saddle, man, you just sink right into that thing and you are just, nothing can happen. You can flip upside down, you're not going anywhere, but it's just... So comfortable. You have so many different shot angles. You can go three sixty around the tree. So you know, I'll start my climb with a stepladder. You know, the saddle is already around my waist and there's two D rings on the side. I actually made my own saddle out of an old repelling harness and my old arm pads. You know, kinda modified my own as I'm working on coming out with a new wild edge sling. But um you know, I just messed around with a couple different variations and the main key is to have two D rings on the side and those D rings as you're climbing you attach your lines when belt to the tree so your hands are free while climbing snap a couple steps on you get up to the top of the tree and then you figure out where you want your feet that's the biggest key so the advantage of the step ladder with hunting out of saddle is you you know opposed to sticks where you'd only have one foot platform the stepladder you know i'll take two three four sometimes six steps and i'll go around the tree if i'm being mobile i'll only use two steps but when i'm hunting stands that I'll leave for a while, you know, all season, I'll put six steps around that tree in a ring on the same plane so that when you get up to that spot, you know, you put your steps around the tree or whatever you're using to as a platform, and once you step up on there, you tie your, you know, guys call it a bridge. So there's different ways to do it. You take the bridge, which is from your right hip to your left hip, those two D-rings, you take one piece of rope, you know, each on a carabiner or just tied to those rings, and you just make a loop kind of in front of you. You know, it's probably only a one-and-a-half to two-foot rope. And then you take that rope and you attach it to another line that goes around the tree. So you take your lines and belt, you go right around the tree, put it through itself, and then you use a, a pressing knot with a carabiner to adjust your uh, how far away from the tree you want to be. Because you don't want to be too close to the tree because then you can't go all the way around. You don't want to be too far away then it's hard to get you know it's hard to stand up because you're so so far away from the tree so it's it's all personal preference but there's so many different ways and techniques to do it but you know it's 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 just gives you it's kind of like the moon stand that gives you that 360 around the tree but you don't need a tree stand it's your slings right around your waist your saddle and you can honest to god you can swing right around that tree you know you predict where the deer is going to come and where it's going to go and you just you dance around the tree you know, when you're tired, you just let the pressure off your legs and you just hang there. You know, with the tree right in your crotch, like right in your face. And if you're tired, you put your head against the tree and you take a nap. I mean, it's it's so versatile. It's awesome.
0: Now, is it is it pretty comfortable?
1: Oh, it's so it, it's so comfortable. It's it's very hard to stay awake. I mean, it's it's super comfortable. It's it's just like sitting in a you know sitting in a little hammock. You know, there's, so
0: there. Maybe I missed it, but is th- there's back some sort of back support, right?
1: It all depends on what sling you're hunting with. Like uh, the Guido's Web is known as like the lazy boy of the saddles, so it's wicked comfortable. And I've heard a ton of good reviews on it, and I've tried my buddies out, and they are so comfortable; it's it's unbelievable. But it's just a little bulky, so my sling is not as comfortable as that, but it's a lot more lightweight and a lot smaller because I want to be able to fit into my kayak with it i want to be able to walk in the woods as if there's nothing around my waist but you know when you get on un- if you get uncomfortable all you do is adjust it so you'll take that you'll take the pressure that you're sitting on on your legs and you'll move that that pad up to your lower back so now the pressure's on your lower back and if that gets uncomfortable then you move it down under your legs again so you could, you always trans you always transfer the weight of what you're sitting on um to change, you know, if your legs fall asleep or if you get uncomfortable, you're just always changing where you're sitting.
0: Right. Okay. Um, so then, are you able to sit all the way down in one of those um, tree slings where you can pick your feet up, like if you were sitting in a regular chair and take the all the weight off your legs?
1: Oh yeah. You know, basically when you're say, you know last half hour you're expecting gear movement you're stand, you're basically standing as if you're you know say leaning against a tree or leaning against something or leaning against the wall with your feet kicked out so your feet are on a platform the steps or whatever you're standing on you're kind of just leaning back at a you know 45 degree angle away from the tree so okay. you're just you know all the pressure's on your feet but also it's being held up by the sling your whole body and then when you want to relax you take all the pressure off your feet and you're kind of just against the tree bear hugging it or you can spin around and just you know just sit there with your feet hanging it's right whatever is comfortable for you
0: okay um so then how do you hang your bow or do you have your bow in your hand the entire time
1: well i have uh, i just i carry a uh, our step hanger which is a uh, so i'll take a, a step ladder and i'll put it you know above me probably two feet above my head and I'll put our my little step hanger that we sell on our site right into the step, and it has a swivel on it, just like a normal screw-in bow hanger, like the real tree hanger. You know, it's kind of that same method, but you're not screwing into the tree. So it's it goes right inside the the actual step, and I'll have my yeah. bow kind of right out in front of me, so it's okay. always right there, easy to grab. All
0: right. So you hang your you hang your bow up. Um, and I'll so... hang my
1: I'll hang my backpack on another step you know, that's either at my feet or if I'm real comfortable and I have enough steps, I'll put it, you know, at mid level so that anytime I need anything, my rangefinder is always hanging right there in my bag. You know, anything I need, my bag's right there. All right.
0: I'm trying to think of like some hypothetical situations here where, all right, you're, you're leaning, you know, you're leaning back. You're, um, you know, you're comfortable. Oh, you see a deer you want to shoot. All right. Now, the buck is maybe coming, or the deer is coming straight to you from, um, I'm just I'm just trying to think of situations where you would have to be, you would have to do a lot of moving in the tree, like walk around a little bit in order for you to get a shot, or if the buck potentially comes from a, um, from let's say, I'm left-handed, or I'm right-handed, so my bow's going to be in my left hand. If I'm facing the tree and the deer is coming from my right, yep. how do you adjust in the tree?
1: That's that's the hardest part. You know, it's it's definitely something to get used to and something to practice. You're not just going to throw a saddle on and then opening day, run into the woods and try to shoot a deer. It definitely takes right. t- some getting used to. So that's the hardest part is when they're coming from your offhand. So if you're righty and they're coming and you're facing the tree, just like you said, and they come from the right, you know, I've ha- I've done some crazy ninja moves where you can swing the bow because you you got a picture you always have that line coming from you know coming from your your belt line up to the tree so it's right in front of your face so you have to take your bow either you have to either dance around the tree or if you can't do that much movement you take your bow put it around the line and you kind of have to twist your whole body but the advantage of the swing is you only have to have a toe on the step you know you don't have to have a stable foot platform you don't have to have both feet on the tree so I've done some crazy stuff where I've you know, have just a part of my toe on one step and I'll kind of swing around and, you know, you're kind of shooting the bow sideways, uh, like in the movies. But, right. you know, it, it definitely takes some getting used to, but that is the biggest fear when they come from your off, your off-hand sides. It's It gets a little tricky, but, you know, the advantage of having plat, a platform all the way around the tree, you know, unless you're surprised by a deer being right there, you have enough time to get around the tree and to get in the right position.
0: Gotcha. So then, do you have to do you have to have two hands free to adjust where you're moving on the you know with this with this saddle on or can you are you able to do that like walk around whatever you know said platform you have or sticks or screwing steps or whatever um, to let's say a deer's coming from behind me. so I need to take like a quarter turn around that tree so I can draw. Um, back on this buck, do I have to slide any ropes or shift, you know, any um, carabiners or, you know, slip knots in order for me to do that? Because nope. I, I feel that if I don't, I'm going to, wherever it's connected in the tree is going to want to pull me back to center, if that makes sense.
1: It's almost, you almost got a picture of rock climbing. So if you've ever yeah. been rock climbing, rappelling, you're tied in with one line. So you can go left, right, sideways. You can... There's your hands are 100% free, so there's you're not, you know, holding on to the tree if you're in a tree stand to move around it. And you're worried about stepping off the platform. Nothing can happen. I mean, you could have no feet on the platform and you could still make the shot. I mean, it's you, the the advantage of having a stable platform. And you look, talk to a lot of guys out kind of a saddle. They're always looking for a good platform. A good that is the key to all your movement is your platform. So that's yeah. where the stepladder comes in you can put those steps right next to each other around the tree so you almost have like a a platform ring around the whole tree and you kind of just you don't have to look down and look for your step you just feel it and you can just go right around the tree so your hand the only time you're using your hands is if you want to adjust with your pressic knot going closer to the tree or farther away from the tree but when a deer's coming your hands are completely free
0: so I just mentioned two scenarios where, you know, okay, maybe a a tree harness would be a little complicated to, you know, the movement might wor- it would take it would take some getting used to, right? If, yeah. you know, like I said, uh you're right-handed and a deer's coming from your right-hand side. Are there any other scenarios that you can think of that would either be um complicated that you could share with the listeners or something that okay, a saddle works better than a tree stand because you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I'd say it's it, it all comes down to your perspective, your personality. I mean, obviously you can't compete with the guys who put up a ladder stand and they got the biggest, coziest, lazy boy up in a tree. I mean, that's obviously gonna be a lot more comfortable, but I'm I can't think of anything negative about it. Like I said, it just it just takes some getting used to, it. you know, knowing where the biggest thing is knowing where to put your platform, how to set up your platform, where your feet are going to be, and the other big thing is where to tie in your line to the tree. You know, you right. want to tie that in because obviously if your line is tied in right in front of you and when you go, you have to have enough slack so you can go around the tree if you have that many shot opportunities, but if, you know, but if it's too loose, then you're too far away from the tree. If you're too tight, then you can't make it around the tree so it's it's all just just using it, and every tree is different. I like to get up into the crotch of a tree, so that you know. Sometimes I'll put depending on the time of the year and deer movement, I'll tie into the right the right crotch or the left crotch. You know, whichever limb. You know, I always like different opportunities, and then you know, just the ability to hide. So you know, if you're in a straight pole of a tree, you're going to stick out a lot more than. So I guess that's the other. That's one of the disadvantages if you're in a straight tree, you know, in a tree stand, you can lean up against that tree and you look like the tree with the saddle. You're sticking out, you know, you're sticking out four or five feet from that tree. So you're pretty visible. That's why I like to get into cover, get into a crotch of a tree where it splits. So I guess that'd be the only disadvantage would be being more visible. And when, when, you get t- when you get bored, you tend to, kind of like if you're just sitting in a swing, what do you do? you swing around, you sway side yeah. to side, you know? So yeah. when you're not, all of a sudden you'll catch yourself, you're like, oh shit, you know, I'm, I'm swinging back and forth, you know, and you got to stop yourself. So, but other than yeah. that, it, it's awesome.
0: One thing that I always do when I'm, I set up my tree stand is my tree stand is not typically not facing where the, where I think the deer are coming from They're right. It's facing away so that I can use the tree as some kind of cover if, you know, something if it gets sticky and I I may move too much and they they bust me or the wind swirls and they catch my scent or something like that, Um, then, you know, they look up at you. So if there's a tree between me and the, um, you know, the animal, you know, I, I, I feel that it's they're going to bust you less. And that's something that I, I, I see a tree, you know, you're able to do the same thing with a tree harness.
1: Right, yeah, you can hide behind the tree the same way. And I just thought of another disadvantage as I'm thinking about it. If you're in a, you know, a smaller tree, you know, the size of your waist, you know, it, you tend, as you're moving more in the saddle, you tend to move the tree a lot more than if you're just dancing around in a circle on the platform of a tree stand. So, you know, late season, you really got to be careful because you'll move the whole tree. But, you know, when you're setting up, you, same thing as a tree stand, but you almost want, so if if you're righty, you want all your shots to be in that 180 to your left side. You know, so you kind of have to set up to your shots because you can shoot 360 around the tree, but if you're righty and something comes in on your right side, you got some dancing to do.
0: Yeah yeah so have you ever had a scenario like that where you know a deer did come into your right hand side and you were caught off guard and what did you do to you know what adjustments did you make in the tree to give yourself a shot opportunity
1: It it happens all the time I mean last season when I was accessed by kayak I was on in the peninsula the day after I saw that big deer I went in the same the next morning and you know, I, I hit the grunt call, and I had a nice nice little 8-point come in. It was just the coolest scenario in the world. I couldn't not shoot it. It was just, you know, beautiful river on both sides. So, But he came from my right side, and I wasn't set up to shoot to the right because every deer I'd seen came from the left and was right. on the left side. So he came in the right, and he came right. You know, first time I saw him, it's so thick, he's 20 yards away. So I had no time to move. And he came right to the base of the tree, he sniffed one of my steps, and then he started turning. And the second he turned to walk away, I did some crazy ninja move, you know, and I just put my feet out to the left side of the tree. My feet were barely touching the tree. I just had my right foot hooked around one of the steps on on the back end of the tree. I brought my bow around my line, and, you know, when I shot him, I was, you know, he was straight down, but I was, you know, my bow was cantered at, like a 45 degree angle to the right and you know i made a perfect shot but it was it was definitely some ninja moves that i had to do to get to get a shot at that deer so it happens all the time
0: right okay so how much does how much does your uh tree saddle
1: weigh uh i the one i made it's it's less than two pounds
0: okay and it and it holds you you're you're very comfortable in it Um, Oh Yeah. yeah. All right. So from the time, you know, obviously like again, you're using your step ladder system, but other guys are typically only are they're they're doing, you know, either screw in steps or, you know, like some kind of climbing stick, whatever, however they're accessing, you know, the, the vertical, you know, gaining vertical feet. Um, How long does it typically take you to set up um, from the time you walk up to the tree to the time you are, you have your bow hung and you're ready to start hunting?
1: Uh, it's you know, anywhere from three to five minutes. I mean, it's, okay. I've had, you know, a lot of times, especially, you know, I'm, I'm paddling down a river that's, you know, a thousand yards across. It, it's a big river. So, you know, no matter how much time you leave yourself, it always takes more time. So you're, I seem to always be in a rush when I get to the stand. You know, it's starting to get light. You're like, oh, man, i got to get up there. So if I'm hustling and I'm, I'm pushing it, you know, when I start, when I'm at the base of the tree, my saddle's already around, already around my waist. My steps are already around my shoulder. So all I do is unzip the bag, pull the ropes out, snap the first step on, and then I'll use the aider. So my next step, every step is three to four feet apart, you know. So my bow is strapped to my backpack. My bow hanger is right in my pocket. So I have... When I leave the ground, I never go back to the ground unless I'm getting down from my stand. So I'll boogie right up the tree. You know, the second I get up there, I'll snap a step on up high, and I'll put my bow hanger in, hang my bow up, take my backpack off, hang it on a limb or hang it on a step with a carabiner, and then, then I'll focus on my platform of where I want my feet. So, you know, it's no more than five minutes. It's it's wicked quick, and you're making no noise. That's the, that's the
0: advantage. Right okay so then from from that point tearing down is just reverse of setting up basically it's pretty um, right pretty easy so basically it's every it's the time it takes to set up a tree stand or a sticks and a tree stand because I can with my lone wolf system I'm I'm good enough now with the years of practice that I've had where I can uh, set up a a stand, and this all depends on how many uh, limbs I have to cut on the way up, or um, any type of tree trimming I have to do to create a shooting lane. But I can I can do it definitely in under ten minutes right. most times. Um, so it, you know, obviously both both those systems work. But I can I can tell you what I can see how a guy would love a tree saddle just for the the pure comfort of it.
1: Oh, the, the comfort and mobility trumps everything. Mobility and, and noise. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't think of any tree stand that is quiet when you put it up. You know, you can be quiet, but yeah. you have to worry about being quiet. With a saddle, you're not worried about anything. I mean, it's a cloth saddle around your waist, and you're right. putting a piece of rope around the tree. The only thing that could make noise is a carabiner against your bow or something. You know, it's, it's just so quiet, and, you know, you, I'm wearing it in my kayak. You know, it's it's simplicity. I I love simple things, and it's so simple and makes sense. And the other advantage is, the you know, one of the reasons we got into saddle hunting is my buddy and I got pretty pretty into videoing and filming. And and, you know, during the summer, you you know, we we didn't have we didn't exactly have a couple thousand bucks to throw around to buy extra stands for filming sets. So I'm thinking in my head, I was like, man, I've always wanted to try a saddle. So this would be the perfect way to do it. So instead of buying 20 more tree stands, all I need is one saddle. And then even if we're not filming, I can set up as many steps or in, in a tree as I want, and I have one tree stand, and it's always around my waist.
0: Right, right. So for the guys who, after they listen to this and they're like, hey, man, I, I want to try hunting out of a, a saddle just once. What are some things that these guys need to consider before, you know, going in and, you know, going full bore up a tree with a a tree saddle on?
1: I'd say they they really need to do some studying and really focus on the safety of it. Because, I mean, you're hanging whatever height you climb. You know, you're hanging 20, 30 feet, and you're relying on one or two ropes. So you need quality climbing rope. You need to understand how a pressing knot works because that is, your key adjustment to everything on the saddle. You need good climbing carabiners that are actually rated for climbing. You know you need to do you need to do a lot of homework and actually play with it in the you know in your yard or before you buy it. Just the best place to learn is saddlehunter.com, uh, saddlehunter forum. It's these guys just evaluate every single climbing method, every single climbing stick, climbing step, tree saddle. You know they go through everything and then they you know the a customer has to figure out. Do they want pure comfort? Do they want lightweight? Do they want mobility? You know, there's only a few saddles on the market, but, you know, if you're looking for pure, pure comfort in a tree, you're looking at uh, the Guido's Web. If you're looking at a more mobile setup, you're looking at the Arrow Hunter. Um, And then we have our own saddle coming out this summer that will be very lightweight, uh, very simple. It will be more towards the less comfort, more mobility kind of hunting. So So what is a
0: what is an average saddle cost? That's that's on the market, not just yours, but all of them.
1: They're up around four hundred bucks.
0: Okay, so it's it's uh, it's it's more expensive than a than a tree stand.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: but the advantage is you only need one, and that's going to last forever. So okay. Well, man, I. uh, I appreciate you taking time to come back on the podcast and talk a little bit about uh, you know, hunting out where you hunt and uh the, the style, the saddle style that you uh that you've uh adopted.
1: Yes, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: And there you have it, your Monday podcast is in the books. Huge shout out to each and every one of you who have Taking the time to download this episode listen to it if you get an opportunity please go to iTunes leave a review or leave a review wherever you download or listen to this podcast I would really appreciate it huge shout out to the partners of this podcast Ripcord Deer Lab Exodus Wasp Archery Ozonics and Gearhead Archery uh, more information for from those last two companies coming down the pipeline. But uh, thank you guys very much for tuning in. And if you like what you're listening to, be sure to go to the Facebook page, check in daily because I have tons of questions every day. You know, similar to um, if you could if you could hunt elk or mule deer. You know, just dumb questions like that, sparks conversation, uh, and it's basically just a, you know, a conversation between hunters from all over the, the country, and it, I like it, so check it out. Also, want to say, if you haven't already, go to Facebook, like the page, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, if you guys want to be a guest on this podcast, send me an email. uh And that is nine finger chronicles all spelled out at gmail.com. Uh, here this summer, I would love to start doing a lot more product reviews. So if there are some products that you liked or didn't like that you would like to review, um, before the upcoming season, I know the listeners of the, this podcast would really appreciate it. And, uh, we can, we can go from there. So, uh, a lot more, a lot more cool things coming down the pipeline. So, uh, keep an eye out for that and hey guys please take the time to go and you know if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you live out west don't be afraid to you know join some of these organizations like the rocky mountain elk foundation two percent for conservation the national deer alliance the mule deer foundation uh any type of foundation that helps uh conservation efforts and preserve the game that we hunt that's a win for everybody so go you know look into whatever pheasants forever ducks unlimited whatever go check that out and uh, become part of something other than that if you guys are ever in a tree wear your damn safety harness have a good week